As a professor, people need to stop looking at college as an experience and just kind of look at it as a capitalist venture that it is. And it's elitist in so many ways. Some people don't like the fact that I'm very open about going to community college. And I'm like, I don't care because I was poor and like, you know, it, it's, it's privileged anyway. You are listening to Off the Struggle Bus, a podcast where we talk to millennials in public service and experts in personal finance. I'm your host, MJ. With over 10 years in local government, nonprofits, and national campaigns, I'm here to make you feel less alone in getting your money right. Today, we talk to Dani Pilla, PhD. She is a fellow Filipina and pandemic mom. We talk about how we connected through the New York City Mayor's Office of Immigrant Affairs and navigating money while being undocumented. We also talk about colleges and the culture shock of academia, both as a student and as a professor. This resonates for me because in the public sector, culture shock is something you regularly deal with, especially when you're in spaces of wealth and privilege. Before we get to the interview, I'd like to ask you for support. Please share this episode with a friend, leave me some feedback, or hit me up on Instagram, MJ with an underscore, O-T-S-B. What do you want to hear more of? What perspectives do you need? All right, here's the first part of my talk with Danny. I'm talking to one of my besties. I think she's going to actually be labeled as our very first guest because we have to set the stage. Danny is my like SOS text message when I want to scream into the void about money and maybe pandemic parenting. It's like 50-50, sometimes 70-30. <laughs> it switches, which I appreciate. We are talking to Danny Pilla, PhD, Dr. Danny Pilla, because this is recent and I'm so freaking proud of her. She is a scholar of race and ethnicity, immigration and law, currently living her dream as an assistant professor of sociology at the Southern Connecticut State University. She moved from New York to Connecticut, so I'm feeling away, but it's okay. <laughs> Her dissertation investigates how Filipino immigrants navigate or fail to navigate the U.S. immigration system, which is a hot mess. Danny's research is informed by her extensive experience as an advocate and service provider, including internships at the New York City Mayor's Office of Immigrant Affairs. We have to talk about this because I didn't realize you interned there. Really? What? I was, I was like, wait, what? How did I miss this? <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about Moya first. What? When did you work at Moya? <laughs> oh, that's how we met, you crazy lady. You were all gone already, and then uh, Gio said, hey, you and Maria would really get along, and then we set up a blind date, and then we fell in love, and then that was it. And that was it. We talked for six hours, and, and you were like, I'm introverted. I'm like, I do not get that sense from you. Okay, well, fair. Fair, but this is evidence for everybody at FinCon who are like, wait, you're an introvert? It's like, really, when I find my people, I kind of just stick. <laughs> you blossom. Your true self comes out. Yeah. Well, yeah. we were talking about immigrants and Filipinos and how to make New York City a better place for them. Because Moya, right? And for those who yeah. don't know, Moya is the mayor's office of immigrant affairs, where I worked for four years under the Bloomberg administration. So that is my foundation in the public sector. 
it's the office that would have made New York City less scary for my parents who moved here from the Philippines. It's one of those things where our parents were like, oh, we're going to move to the U.S. because there's better opportunity for our family. But then they're so busy surviving that there's never any real like, here is how you survive and here is how you thrive. So we as first gen 1.5, whatever, like kids are like, oh shit, uh, nobody is talking to us about money and the public school system or the school systems we're in because what you grew up in California, yeah. <clears throat> did they teach you finance there? Hell no. No, <laughs> mm -mm. that's a really good point. So a little bit about my family background. My mom's side of the family was pretty wealthy and my dad's side of family is pretty poor. I was able to see both worlds really quickly. My mom's relatives would be traveling internationally. They have these audacious houses. Uh, and then my side of the family, there's like a pig in someone's house. You know, there's chickens all over. Even as a young child in the Philippines, I was like, oh, it was very easy to see who was wealthier. Wealth was very clear to me. My mom had been trying for years to immigrate, but like she tried to Australia, she tried to Canada, she tried the U.S., and she kept being rejected, and she finally had an in through California. So that's why when I was 14, we ended up moving to California. I knew exactly how much money my mom made because, um, you know, very immigrant, but like she would tell me to do, okay, you have to put do the taxes for your school. So like I knew she made 30 what? grand. Like, yeah, yeah. It's just, yeah, because like we had to fill out financial aid packages. So like you just have, you know, like I would just help out with any like parental things. Like she would just sign off basically. I never felt poor, but there were things my mom would say that was like, it was really obvious that we weren't comfortable, right? So she would say things like, don't tell people we shop at the thrift store, which is ironic in 2022 because it's all about sustainability and like, yeah. you know, antique shopping, right? But, <laughs> but like in 2003, people were like, don't tell people we use, you use clothing. Like, yeah. And, and, yeah. I've, and I've kind of kept that, that, you know, I still love to thrift. I still love to go like estate sale shopping just because, you know, like it's just a more affordable way to get, you know, I don't like, that's one of those things that's very controllable for me that, you know, you know, if I can buy it used, why not? This is the thing that tells you how poor we were. I was asking money for an AP test. Like, mm. and, and AP tests are so weird, right? Philippines, they don't have that. She was like, you're going to use the money for drugs. Oh, what? $80. What kind of drugs am I buying for $80? What, like a milligram of weed? Drugs are expensive. And it wasn't legal in California at the time. And I was like, so you think I'm lying about a state test to get money for drugs? Like, right, like delusion. <laughs> I know, delusion. Also, like, hello, look at me. Like, I'm, you know, pretty nerdy as they come. And most importantly in my story is, you know, I wasn't a U.S. citizen at the time. Mm -hmm. So we were on my, my mom was on a work visa and so we were dependents. And when you're on a dependent visa, you can't work. So, you, uh, you know, you can't work anywhere. And I remember I was, you know, a junior in high school and I was like, you oh, know, I want to make money. My friend helped me get a job at the mall selling Dippin' Ducks. Oh, and my mom was so 2000 classic man. My mom was so angry. She's like, you're going to get deported. You're working under the table, blah, blah, blah. 
And meanwhile, I know everyone I know works under the table in my school because when you're a high schooler, you know, or if you babysit, like, you know, that was just something. And I was like, I'm going to do it because I need money. Like, I want to do stuff. And like, she would get so upset every time I asked for something, even if it was something I needed, like money for an AP test, right? Ugh, immigrant upbringings can be so hard, especially if you're undocumented. Last month, I attended FinCon for the first time, and I was taken aback by the diversity in personal finance creators. I fell in love with how inclusive the space is, and there was even a creator focused on helping undocumented folks get their money right. I can't wait to have her on the podcast sometime soon. Now, back to Danny. We started to talk about college and her culture shock of going to a private university. Only 30% of the U.S. has college degrees, girl. Not everybody has a college degree, so I don't, you know, and a lot of people are doing well, so I don't really care. For some reason, thought that percentage was higher. Yes, you are yeah. correct. Huh. Yeah, it's not that high. Like, you would, because especially in, like, the Philippines, one has a college degree, but, like, like most people... <laughs> here in the u.s it's not it's not necessarily true if you own like a cat cafe why the hell do you have a college degree <laughs> it doesn't make sense i think people need to stop you know as a professor people need to stop looking at college as an experience and just kind of look at it as like the capitalist venture that it is and it's elitist in so many ways some people don't like the fact that i'm very open about going to community college and i'm like i don't care because i was poor and like you know it, it's it's privileged anyway <laughs> and some people it's funny you know who the real rich people are based on if i tell like where my college is so my college was the first women's college in the united states because like the ivy leagues like wouldn't allow women in so the seven mm -hmm. sisters um, was created you know to contrast that so they they were like you know f harvard basically and f yale because they wouldn't let women in so the real richies know my school I'll be like, oh, I'm to my Holyoke. And usually, like, people have a blank stare. But, like, yeah. if you're a real rich person, you're like, oh, my aunt went there. And I'm like, I know what socioeconomic status you are in. <laughs> I don't think I can explain to you, Maria, how insanely wealthy some of these students are. So I'll give you two examples. One of them, I was, like, in the dining hall. And this woman was like, I heard her, oh, I brought my favorite horse. First of all, you brought a horse. Which was like, I looked it up. It was like $20,000 a year to board what? a horse. So if you're boarding, yes, at my school. So if you're boarding a horse, it's $80,000 per year. Second of all, you said favorite horse. It means you have more <laughs> than one. Okay? What is this right. life? And what, it, what? And I was like, that's always stuck with me. And then the other one was, I had an international student friend from China. And she's like, hey, I'm going to London for the weekend. Do you want anything from Burberry? You can buy a t-shirt from them for $2,000. You know how much you can make if you're an Like, there's a maximum. You can make $2,000 maximum if you're an international student. So I would basically use all my yearly earnings to buy a t-shirt. One t-shirt. One t-shirt. Like, that's the kind of wealth we're talking about. This is the kind of people that go into academia. It's people like me who were like, extremely lucky and they're like dual income you know like kind of happen to become academics and then there's the people who have cabins in the french alps that they go to in the summers or they have a brownstone in new york city that they've had you know from their parents you know or they you know they have like multiple houses that they go to or they only fly first class 
when they go to conferences. These are the kinds of people in my field. It's like they're either very wealthy people. Every state university's salary is public. So my salary is $69,000. I don't really mind saying it because honestly, you can look it up <laughs> on the internet. Yeah, all for salary transparency. 69000 that's not a lot of money considering it takes at least six years to get a PhD. PhD. Assuming you only do six years, there's also these third, fourth generation academics. So it's a very elitist field to be in because like, you know, everyone's like, you know, haven't worked a real job. <laughs> None of them have worked like at a Dippin' Dots or none of them work retail or none of them have worked at McDonald's. And these are the people teaching in college, right? Like teaching minority, low income students talking about wealth and class and race. And like, they've never even like stepped foot into a McDonald's. <laughs> like Taking a step back on that too, though. Now I'm like, as you're talking, I'm thinking about for folks that are working as professors or working in these state colleges, is there open conversations about what you guys put in your 401ks or like even guidance when it comes to yeah. those conversations? No, that's a good question. So um, it was funny because I, I was hired and then, you know, they give you retirement options. So I, I texted like all my colleagues. I was like, hey, like, you know, I'm looking at these like retirement options. Like, can you give me, you know, what did you choose? And everyone was like, I don't remember because it was like a thousand years ago or like the, the ones who were hired more recently, they were like, I don't know. Nobody told me what to invest in. And like I, in terms of my financial education as an academic, there's basically no guidance. I mean, again, this is a culture where reimbursement culture, like we're just expected to front a thousand dollars for a conference and then wait three months to get the money back. Like that is the culture in academia that it's, you know, very tied to wealth and privilege. And, the, and, and there's always an assumption that like, whatever, we'll, we'll just reimburse you later. Can you imagine not having monthly income for not having that reimbursement for seven months? 70% of Americans can't handle a $400 emergency. Did you know in 2020, 69% of Americans had less than $1,000 in their savings? Which is fucking terrifying. Fucking terrifying. Yeah. I can't believe people are not more angry about this. That it's come to this, you know, it's come to this state and people are like, oh, just work hard by your bootstraps and don't understand that like ha not having any social safety, both from your employer and from your government, it's insane. Going to a private school, Working for a private school, I worked at Fordham for a year, especially seeing my husband's family. And it's funny because they're probably not even, when you think of like the 1%, they're not even probably at the 1%, but they're like, they're probably upper middle class, but not like Jeff Bezos rich, right? And even then, yeah. I'm just like, I mean, who is? damn, your lives are so different. I've had many instances where I'm like, is this real? Like, you just chose to, like, people have multiple properties for no reason. They're like, oh, our house in Boca. I'm like, what do you mean you have a house in another state? They're like, oh, we have another house in, you know, North Carolina. Why? Just because, like, what? Like, and, and here we are, like, you know, we bought our first house. We're like, oh, my God, I hope we don't, like, default on our mortgage. Like, <laughs> like you're staying renting. <laughs> That's what, girl, but even renting is, it's more expensive now than it is owning a house. Like, that's why we decided to buy a house. Cause I was just like, it's so, rents kept going up so much, you know, we were planning to stay long-term here. So we were like, let's just buy, even though it's so, you know, 
It's like yeah. if something happens right now, we are fucked. <laughs> well, let's hope nothing happens and send all the good vibes to our friend Dan. I feel like she needs to be a repeat guest on this podcast because we have so much to dive in on. All right, folks, if you enjoyed this conversation, feel free to share it with a friend, screenshot it, and tag me on Instagram. Again, it's MJ underscore OTSB. And leave a review wherever you listen. We're getting off the struggle bus together. Until next time.